Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by Peak Tea, and I really love these teas because they're specifically formulated to enhance the benefits of fasting. That's right, deeper levels of cellular healing and autophagy, and they're designed to shut down appetite and support healthy weight management. They're delicious. They won't break your fast. And they are the highest quality because they're extracted via cold brew crystallization that gently preserves the active compounds at their maximum potential. They're 100% organic and triple toxin screen for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold. You would be surprised how many teas out there, if you test them, actually full of chemicals, full of heavy metals, pesticides, mold, super common in the tea industry, but not peak tea. They use the triple toxin screening and they're the highest possible purity. Now, I really like their bergamot fasting tea, which is amazing for your energy. You know, a lot of times when people are fasting, especially doing an extended fast, they're just energy plummets. Bergamot fasting tea will really help with that. It's loaded with theoflavins that nourish your gut bacteria, support digestion and boost satiety. And this is key. So a lot of times when you're fasting, you know, your, your, your healthy gut bacteria die off while your bad bacteria die. We want the bad bacteria to die. We don't want the good bacteria to die. These theoflavins are going to selectively nourish the healthy gut bacteria to keep your microbiome intact. And you're going to get that from the bergamot. It also offers a flavorful burst of citrus. Its oils, again, enhance digestion. They provide unique mood-boosting properties as well. Also really good for the skin. They also have a great ginger green fasting tea. We know ginger supports your digestion. And we know green tea is rich in catechins. The two combined, ginger and green tea, super good for your immune system, great for energy levels. They also have a great cinnamon herbal fasting tea that I love. It supports balanced blood sugar, helps manage cravings. It's naturally caffeine-free, tastes amazing. You guys, they have a ton of different flavors, like 20 different flavors. Um, so you'll find something that you really like. And Peak is extending a limited time offer just for my audience. You can get 5% off plus a free pouch that comes with 20 premium samples so you can try all their different types when you purchase a fasting bundle. Just head over to peaklife.com forward slash drjockers. Use the coupon code D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S for a special discount. Peak has over 15,000. Listen to that, 15,000 five-star reviews. That means people are loving this. So try it for yourself risk-free with their 30-day satisfaction guarantee, and you'll either love it or you get your money back. So go to peaklife.com, spelled P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash drjockers, and use the coupon code D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S for a complimentary gift and 5% off. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We've got another exciting Q&A. This is our first of 2023 here. So excited to do this. You guys really love these Q&As. And today we're going to talk a lot about fatty liver, liver enzymes. We're going to talk about parasites and a parasite protocol. Um, and these are all questions that we got from YouTube that we've gotten from Instagram. So if you're not following me on any of these channels, Facebook, Dr. David Jockers, Instagram, 
as well as YouTube. This is where we're getting a lot of these questions. You can also email them in at info at drjockers.com as well. And it may make one of these Q&A podcasts. So a lot of good stuff to go over. And I've got our superstar health coach, Melissa Noor, with me today. Melissa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to get started. Yeah. So awesome. it's the beginning new year. Everyone's focused on their health. So this is a great way to really help people get some questions answered and dial in on what they should focus on. So excited today. Yep, that's right. And also, guys, you know, if you're dealing with any sort of complex health issues, definitely reach out to somebody like Melissa, a great health coach that can walk you through really understanding what the root cause factors are in any sort of health condition you're dealing with. Run labs if necessary, uh, analyze at labs that you may have already had, and give you protocols that uh, that will help you bring you back to balance and support your health. So Melissa's awesome. You can find her. Melissa at drjockers.com is her email, and you can also find her on our website as well. And so with that said, Melissa, let's go ahead and get started with our first question here. Okay, great. So we're going to start with Mary, and this question came from Instagram. So Mary wants to know what you do, what do you do for fatty liver and elevated liver enzymes? What causes this and what nutrition and supplements help? And this is such an important question because more and more people have fatty liver, and I'm even seeing a lot of children with fatty liver, which is incredibly sad to me. So glad that um, she asked this so we can really share a lot of great information on fatty liver. For sure. And fatty liver is a growing condition. It used to really primarily be with alcoholics, you know, and there's a forum where somebody is, you know, obviously over consuming alcohol, they develop one form of fatty liver disease. But fatty liver disease today, we have something called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFL, um, and with that condition, it can be a number of different factors. You know, one thing cer certainly could be an infection that gets into the liver, um, viral infections, hepatitis, things like that can also be related to parasites. You know, we're going to talk more about that as we go on, but those can drive up inflammation that damages the liver cells, which then, uh, then spill out liver enzymes and we'll have elevated liver enzymes in the blood. But, you know, really the most common cause is insulin resistance. And that is where, you know, basically the body's no longer responding to insulin. We know insulin is this superhero hormone that comes and pulls sugar out of the bloodstream and puts it into cells. And we want our cells to be very insulin sensitive because sugar is an energy source. Glucose is an energy source. We need to be very responsive to getting glucose out of the bloodstream, elevated blood glucose is really toxic to the endothelial linings and the epithelial linings of different um, different, different systems of our body. For example, it damages the blood vessels, right? We have our endothelial lining of our blood vessels. And when we have elevated blood sugar, the sugar molecules will bind to proteins and create advanced glyc glycation end products or AGEs that create a tremendous amount of oxidative stress against that endothelial lining of the blood vessels and end up causing plaque formation, which ends up leading to things like heart disease, high blood pressure, um, damages the kidneys, damages the nerve endings. You think about somebody with uncontrolled diabetes, they have peripheral neuropathy, they have optic neuritis where they actually, the nerves around their eyes, basically that, that, that help control their eyes, uh, become damaged and they go blind. So insulin its job is to make sure that doesn't happen, to get the sugar out of the bloodstream into the cells. It also brings nutrients like magnesium into the cell. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want our cells very responsive to that. When we are no longer responsive, the first cells that kind of lose their 
natural insulin sensitivity are going to be, you know, just our, our muscle cells, right? Our muscle cells, neurons, different things like that. And then uh, down the road are fat cells. And so what happens is as we lose insulin sensitivity with our muscle cells, our more active cells, then we start to store more fat because the fat cells still have a level of insulin sensitivity. So when insulin is elevated, we end up putting more of this glucose into the fat cells, creating more fatty acids, and we can do that on the liver, right? So, uh, and we end up creating fatty liver disease that way. And one of the markers, you know, with fatty liver disease is that you will have elevated liver enzymes because the liver cells themselves are becoming damaged. They're not getting enough oxygen, nutrients, and they become damaged and not able to function as well. We know the liver is absolutely vital for helping our body detoxify, um, helping deactivate all the different toxins that go through our system. It also makes a, a tremendous amount of proteins, white blood cells. I mean, it just plays a big role with a lot of different factors uh, throughout our whole body. And uh, as that liver becomes damaged, we no longer are able to do those things as well. And this just increases our toxic burden. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge risk factor for cardiovascular disease, for cancer, for neurodegenerative conditions. And so you can live with fatty liver disease and you can live with it for, for a certain period of time, but every system of your body, the, the damage is amplifying every day that you're living with fatty liver disease. So really, really key that we do work on strategies to help improve liver health. And Melissa, why don't you uh, start with some of those strategies? Yeah, so always the most important thing to me is looking at the diet. So we've got to take out any foods that are contributing to fatty liver. And, you know, one thing I want to share, you mentioned elevated liver enzymes. Well, it's really important when you look at your lab work first to make sure you're in the functional range. So if you start getting over 26, then that's a sign you're headed towards fatty liver. So you really want to implement some of these strategies to, to make sure you avoid that. And so things you want to avoid, foods, processed foods, you know, the same strategies we're going to talk about for liver, good for so many other things. You probably hear us repeat them a lot, but they do. So it's important to avoid the processed foods, the refined, the refined sugars, the fructose in the diet. So high fructose corn syrup, unfortunately, is still in the food supply. So really start to read your labels, make sure you're avoiding that. We mentioned alcohol, but like Dr. Jocker said, a lot of the non-alcoholic fatty liver is what we're seeing more higher levels of. So the seed oils, things like corn, canola, really want to avoid that. It's really hard to avoid that if you eat out. So something to keep in mind. Um, and then conventionally raised animal products. So those are full of toxins. And if your liver is struggling, you're already having a hard time detoxifying because your liver is the workhorse of your body. So really important if you're struggling with if your liver is struggling to avoid extra toxins and conventional animal products are very high in those toxins. GMOs, um, non-organic foods, especially the dirty dozen, the environmental working group puts out a list of the dirty dozen. So these are the foods highest in pesticides, critical to avoid those foods. And to if you're going to eat them, they're healthy foods. So we want you to eat them, but you really need to buy those organic. So spend the extra money on buying those organic. Artificial sweeteners, again, extremely toxic. So the diet sodas are full of aspartame, very toxic. Um, so those are some of the foods that we definitely want to avoid. 
And then we want to include all the health, the non-inflammatory foods. So non-starchy vegetables, green vegetables. I, I really encourage my clients, let that be the majority of every meal, those healthy non-starchy vegetables. And then add in some clean protein, grass-fed meats, um, pastured chicken. Eggs are fabulous. Make sure you're getting the pastured eggs. You can tell the difference with the dark yolk. You always know that that's a good egg because it's a lot darker than the conventional egg. And then healthy fats like avocados, olive oil, those are great to add. You can squeeze some lemon and lime or apple cider vinegar over your meal. That really helps with bile flow and supports the liver. Um, and then bone broth, garlic, onions, just naming off a few foods. All of these are very good for liver health. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to those liver enzymes. Yep. So the key liver enzymes there are ALT, AST, GGT, and alkaline phosphatase. And so if you're looking at your labs, you may see those. And the AST, ALT, GGT, if they're up over 26, like Melissa had mentioned, um, then we have liver stress that's taking place. And that's kind of the early phases of developing fatty liver disease. And then the alkaline phosphatase, really, if that's up over like 90, 100, we're starting to see uh, inflammation in those areas as well. So we kind of want that somewhere between roughly 60, 70, and you know, no more than 100. Um, although that could be a marker also for bone growth. So if you've broken a bone, you're trying to heal a bone, that could also be a factor. Now, going into some of the other great foods, you, know, you mentioned a lot of great ones. I always say bitter is good for the liver, right? So bitter herbs, things that have more of an astringent type of uh, flavor profile, those are going to have compounds that are really supportive for the liver. So we think about dandelion or dandelion tea, uh, really great for the liver. Milk thistle. Now, most people are not eating milk thistle. It's a great supplement. You'll see in a lot of different liver formulas. Almost all the liver formulas out there will have things like milk thistle in it. But, you know, and you can eat milk thistle as well. It grows all over the place. Um, and then you, there's also things like, uh, for example, nettle is another good one that you'll find in teas. Ginger. Um, is really common. It's great for uh, for liver function. Radishes are really great. Artichokes, fantastic for liver health. So these are all kinds of things that we want to be consuming in our diet. Cilantro, parsley, other bitter, you know, those are other good bitter ones. Arugula is another really good one that makes like a good salad base. Arugula, it's also lower oxalate. It's kind of got a very bitter type flavor, but it's a good bitter flavor, really good for salads. So those are good foods that you want to be consuming. Um, you want to do things like when it comes to supplements, uh, we have a great one called liver support. That's fantastic. And that one has got, uh, different medicinal mushrooms like cordyceps, reishi, and things like that, that are super good for liver health. Milk thistle, um, is probably the most well-known herb for, uh, for liver health. That's amazing. Selenium is really important for liver health. Anything that helps support glutathione. So N-acetylcysteine, which is the major precursor. Uh, to glutathione production. That's really powerful for liver health. So those would be the, some of the key things. Alpha-lipoic acid also really good for, especially somebody that is already in a state of fatty liver disease because alpha-lipoic acid dramatically improves insulin sensitivity and also helps to protect the liver cells from, uh, from oxidative damage. So that's another really good one. So those are probably the top top things uh, that you want to be doing. And then also actually another really good strategy is warm lemon water. And you could even, you know, do a ginger tea with, and then put in like fresh squeezed lemon in it. 
uh, in the mornings. And that's really good for, for helping support liver health, helping clear out congested bile. That's powerful there. Also, there's another compound called Tudka. And I think about this more with kind of congested bile and moving bile, bile through the liver. Um, and so it's more of like a, a bile flow agent, but also has cross benefit for helping support and helping regenerate liver cells. So that's another great one. We offer a, a great a great product called Tudka Complete that has got Tudka, it's got milk thistle and a whole bunch of different compounds to help support liver health as well. Yeah, that's a great product. It supports, you know, it's got kidney and liver healthy herbs in it. So yeah. I love to recommend that product. Um, yeah, and so, you know, the liver produces bile. So making sure we're supporting good bile flow is important for liver health too. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, what else should we talk about? Do you want to continue well, with certainly liver exercise, or? you know, so if we're trying to heal insulin resistance, certainly getting regular exercise, uh, building lean body tissue. So doing some strength training. When you do that, any sort of movement or exercise and particular, like some high intensity movement from time to time, you actually activate the GLUT4 receptors uh, in the cells and these, well, they're, they're transporter proteins, but what they do is they almost act like, like insulin where they help to pull sugar out of the bloodstream without the use, without the need for insulin. And so that helps improve your insulin sensitivity with the muscle cells. And so getting good activity on a regular basis, even if it's just going for a walk once or twice a day, ideally also getting some sort of strength training, really good idea to build lean body tissue. That's going to help your body be more insulin sensitive. The more muscle tissue you have, it's almost like a storage tank for sugar. So you have, your body has to produce less insulin. Um, and uh, you store that that sugar in a, in, a, in, a, in the muscles as well as the liver. We call it glycogen. And uh, that helps improve your insulin sensitivity. So getting good quality movement, good sleep. I mean, these are all, all the, the natural healthy lifestyle things that we talk about. Super important there. Um, but really dialing in the diet, getting some of those supplements are key if you're seeing signs of fatty liver disease. Yeah, Epsom salt baths would also mm -hmm. be great to support detox as well as castor oil packs. That's another great strategy for fatty liver. So it helps to, it helps the natural detoxification process. So those are two sure. non-supplement options that people could try. Yeah, and you could put the castor oil pack right over the liver, mm -hmm. helps dilate the bile ducts, um, and it will help help stimulate more healing in those liver cells. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Do you want to move on and talk about parasites next? For sure. Yeah. One last thing with the fatty liver disease, you know, when you have the extra fat on, on the liver, that's a, that's a sign of higher visceral fat in general, which is mm -hmm. kind of fat that is all over your organs, right? And that's the kind of fat that actually chokes out oxygen from getting to, to major organ systems. And so um, as you, and, and you'll know, if you look down, if you're standing and you look down and you can't see your feet, okay, because you have abdominal fat that's in the way, that's a sign that you have a lot of visceral fat. Okay. And for some people, they have a greater genetic tendency to start to develop more of that around the, the liver than others. But either way, it is a you know telltale sign that your liver is going to be overwhelmed and your, your overall system is degenerating. And so very, very important to follow these strategies and to get your um, body fat down, right? And, and, and eliminate that visceral fat. And as you eliminate that visceral fat, your body's going to break down that the fat scarring around the liver and uh, start to help regenerate and heal the liver cells. Right. Awesome. 
I was actually having a conversation with someone at the gym this morning about that. He, you know, that very thing of the excess fat, you know, and encouraging him to get some comprehensive lab work done. So, hey, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about my cell liposomal glutathione. This is an amazing product because our modern world is toxic. No matter how health conscious you try to be, the truth is that every single day you and I are being bombarded by harmful toxins and stressors, things like EMF, 5G, heavy metals, chemicals, processed foods, and the like. And when left to roam free, these toxins take on the form of something called free radicals. Free radicals promote an unhealthy inflammatory response and contribute to oxidative damage on the cellular level. This is kind of like the browning of an apple. This is happening inside of our bodies at all times, and it's potentially leading to premature aging, a lower quality of life, and a range of health problems. But the good news is that we can fight back with antioxidants, and they are crucial in combating free radicals and keeping you on track. And one of the most powerful antioxidants known to man is glutathione. You see, glutathione fights free radicals and molecules that cause cellular damage while repairing the DNA and flushing out toxins. The only thing about glutathione is that not all supplements are created equal. You want a kind of glutathione that has optimal absorption capacity. And that is why I love the Purality Health Micelle Liposomal Technology, which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream and it's proven to be 800% more efficient than other forms of glutathione. And even better, this is backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. And today, we have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit PurityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ to access 30% off today. That's Purality Health. That's P-U-R-A-L-I-T-Y-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. And use the coupon code DRJ to access 30% off today. All right, so um, let's go into parasites. So Sherry on YouTube wants to know of a protocol to get rid of parasites. And, you know, it's it's interesting because we do a lot of stool testing and parasites are pretty hard to detect. So sometimes they can evade stool testing, but we, we can get some great information on intestinal health and other things to, to help support the body getting rid of parasites. But often I do see parasites come up on the stool testing and they're much more common than you think. You don't have to travel to a another country to get parasites. You can get them right here. I think there was one study that said like 85% of the population has parasites. So really something that we should all be aware of. I think doing a parasite cleanse maybe once a quarter or you know something like that depending on the person can be a, a great strategy but um so she wants to know specifically about a cleanse and you know there are we we have some great articles one is on a um, full moon protocol because parasites are more active during the full moon so we use a a specific protocol we can increase the dosages during the full moon to help the body get rid of parasites but there's other supplements too that um, that we carry in other protocols a lot depends on the type because something like blastocystis can be harder to eradicate it forms cysts around itself so we need we have a specific formula for that but um well what would you say dr jockers yeah, for sure. I mean, really all of us have parasites and it's just a matter of, are they growing out of balance? Really, our, our humans have adapted and evolved with 
being in the presence of these parasites all, all the time. And so it's not like we ever fully eliminate them, but we should be able to keep them under check. And, and some of them can be more pathogenic than others. And, uh, you know, we want to keep them in balanced with our, our, the, the totality of our microbiome. And when that happens, they actually help prime and strengthen our immune system. But for many people, because of toxicity, because of bad lifestyle habits, because, you know, perhaps they drank really bad water in, a, in another country or, you know, just bad hygiene, things like that, they may develop an overgrowth of parasites and create a lot of imbalance there. And then we need to trim those down, um, you know, as part of kind of improving the overall microbiome. And so for sure, uh, doing some sort of a protocol around the full moon tends to be the most effective strategy because parasites. Um, so basically we have a key neurotransmitter serotonin. We actually produce more of it in the gut than we have in the brain, but serotonin we're naturally producing on a regular basis. And then we convert serotonin also into melatonin and that's our natural sleep hormone. When around the full moon, we have kind of this natural light in the sky, right? So normally at night, especially like during a new moon, you know, it's it's fully black, right? If you're out in the woods somewhere, when you have a full moon, that's a natural form of light that's now, you know, in, in the sky at night, of course. And so that, that light exposure blocks some of the melatonin production. And we end up with elevated serotonin because we're not converting it into melatonin. And the parasites themselves, serotonin really activates them. And so, and they're also nocturnal. So they tend to prefer activity in the evenings when we're resting or sleeping. And so they become more active and their reproductive cycles become more active around that full moon, that full moon period of time as the moon's getting kind of larger in the sky. So let's say like a week before, a week, week after or so, that's that's kind of be the the two-week period of time during the month where they're going to be more active. So during that period of time, it's really good to hit them with, um, you know, some higher doses of antiparasitic herbs. And there's a lot of different compounds that work really well. Um, one that we often use is something called mimosa pudica, which is kind of a really sticky type of herb. And, um, and so it's very, very sticky. It gets in there and can kind of grab, especially some of the bigger, larger parasites, some of the really small amoebas. It does have compounds in it that if they eat can be anti-parasitic, but we also like to hit it with, um, you know, a number of other herbs. Clove is very anti-parasitic. Neem can be really, really helpful. Um, let's see, there's one called Vidanya, uh, that can be really, really powerful as well. And there's other ones. Black walnut is is pretty well studied for being anti-parasitic. Um, wormwood, sweet wormwood can be really helpful. Um, berberine is another compound that uh, that can be helpful. So there's different protocols. I mean, we have a protocol called our full moon protocol that uh, utilizes some of these herbs in different formulations. And then we also combine it with binders. And so we like kind of a systemic binder. So there's certain binders that just sit in the gut and those can be very, very helpful. Like for example, activated charcoal gets in the gut where it acts almost like a glove that's kind of grabbing toxins, um, grabs them and holds on to them and then pulls them out with the feces. And that can be really, really, really powerful. However, with parasites or any sort of microbial killing, it's 
it's advantageous to have a binder that not only binds in the gut, but can also get out into the bloodstream and help bind any sort of endotoxins that are released. And as parasites are dying, they're going to release different endotoxins that can drive up inflammation in different regions of the body. So uh, we use one called Biotox, Bioactive Carbon Biotox that is really good for binding endotoxins from, micro, from microbes, binding, uh, for example, aldehydes that are released from a lot of these different microbes, as well as um, lipopolysaccharides and different things like that that drive up inflammation. So we'll use that in conjunction with the herbs so we don't get any sort of like Herxheimer reaction or, or um, you know, cleansing type of unwanted symptoms associated with cleansing, which, uh, which, which many people are familiar with. And so it's really key to have the binder on board. It's really key to also make sure that your drainage pathways are open first, that you're, you're having normal bowel movements, you know, at least going once or twice a day, you're urinating frequently, you're hydrating your body. Well, we typically want to open up lymphatics, uh, as much as possible. And there's herbs that can do that. There's also just natural lifestyle things that, that, that you can do to help improve lymphatic function, but we want to make sure the systems of the body, the drainage systems are all opened up as we start to go after these parasites and, uh, and start to remove them from the system. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, I do encourage people to do a stool test. I mean, even if parasites don't show up or they are, you know, commensal with our bodies, learning more about intestinal health and imbalances in your bacteria and addressing those things can really help to, you know, to balance everything. So it's all about balance. It's, because like you said, we do, we live with these things. We have good bacteria. We have some bad bacteria. It's the imbalances that create issues. So we want to avoid overgrowth of the more harmful things. So stool testing is great. Um, I really am, I'm sure people have figured out by now, a big fan of testing. So like to do that. Um, if there was anything else I wanted to talk about with that, making sure you're having good bowel movements too. I mean, you talk some about, you know, using the binder so that you do uh, have you bind to the parasites or the pathogens and they are released through the stool, but I have so many clients with constipation and that's really a, a bad sign. And you're, if you're constipated, you're not releasing these, these things that we're binding to. So if you are on a protocol, like the full moon protocol, make sure you're having really good bowel movements every day. That's really critical. And we've got there's um, articles on different things you can do to help with that, but making sure you're drinking plenty of water. Coffee can stimulate the bowels. The lemon water in the morning is great for that. Um, and then we've got a great product called Oxy Powder that I use quite a bit with my clients with constipation. And it's basically just a special form of magnesium, so it's not habit-forming, and it can really help people. You can either use it more as a cleanse or just take it a lower amount just to help you have good bowel movements daily. But if you are constipated, you need to find out why. You know, look back at like we do with everything, what's causing it, what's the root of it. So you can address that rather than having to rely on anything for, for good bowel movements. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And yeah, for more information, just look up full moon or parasites on drjockers.com. We've got a lot of great articles and content on that that can help you learn more. Okay, great. Um, so Jim on YouTube, hi, doctor. I do 16-8 intermittent fasting every day. So that means he's fasting for 16 hours, eating in an eight-hour window. But my blood reading, and I'm assuming he means his blood sugar reading at noon, 
before his first meal is higher than than his morning reading, and that is confusing him. So he only drinks water and black coffee when he wakes up. And I, I'm, I'm I'm getting that information from a lot of my clients too who are doing fasting, um, that they will still see elevated blood sugar and. You know, cortisol can be a big part of that. So, um, and also black coffee can raise blood sugar, but do you want to, I know you're the expert in this. So the world expert in intermittent fasting and other fasting techniques. So why don't you um, help Jim? Yeah, for sure. So for some people they'll have elevated and and it really just kind of depends on what, what they mean by elevated, but um, for some people that have elevated blood sugar upon rising, we call that the dawn phenomenon where they get an elevation in cortisol, which kind of normally the first two hours or so of waking is kind of the highest amount of cortisol that our body produces. And so basically, you know, you're going to notice one of the effects of cortisol, it's called a glucocorticoid because it elevates glucose, right? So um, to kind of help us, and that actually gives us wakefulness in the mornings. We should normally have this kind of this natural wakefulness. Now, Caffeine is something that also elevates uh, cortisol. That's one of the reasons why uh, coffee or, or any sort of caffeine gives us more wakefulness, right? In general, because it's elevating cortisol. Um, you know, it's also uh, you know impacting other areas of the brain that um, have to do with uh, rest, relaxation, things like that, and inhibiting them. But uh, the elevation in cortisol is going to elevate blood sugar. And so if you're drinking coffee throughout the morning, that just may be how your body's responding to that coffee. Now, does it mean that you're having a bad response to the coffee? Does it mean that you're having a bad response to the fasting? Not necessarily. So what I would like to see is what your fasting insulin looks like. And we can compare your glucose and your fasting insulin. There's something called a HOMO IR score um, or your homeostatic insulin resistance score, which has to do with what your your glucose level looks like and what your fat what your basically your fasting insulin levels look like and that tells us more or less like how insulin sensitive your body is so having an elevated blood sugar let's say let's say it's 100 or 105 or something like that isn't necessarily bad now if your if your blood sugar is up over 120 that's you know certainly an issue um and you know that's obviously in the pre-diabetic and going into the diabetic stage and so we definitely need to look at that and look at some other factors with it. But if it's, you know, in the 90s, maybe low 100s, I'm not overly concerned with it. Also, you may be doing stressful activities. <clears throat> you may be exercising. You may be um, going out, taking a walk that may have an, an impact of increasing your blood sugar. You may be doing really focused concentration work with, uh, you know, whatever you're, you do for a living. That could also have an impact on your blood sugar. So the way that you know <clears throat> that it's not is if you feel very, very good, very mentally alert, um, very wakeful during your fast, you're not hungry, you don't have cravings, you feel very, very productive, and you feel good during that period of time, that's a sign that your body is doing well, right? That it's also burning fat for fuel. And yes, it may have liberated some of your stored glycogen right? Because it's not, it's not like you ate sugar, or you ate something that elevated your blood sugar. It's you're liberating your stored, your storage levels of sugar, and that's increasing your blood sugar, but your body also may be burning fat for fuel. And again, the way you know it's burning fat is you can do a 16-8 and you don't have a lot of hunger cravings. You don't see your energy or your mental health, your, your focus, your concentration go down 
while you're doing that fast. So if, again, if you feel like you're, you're productive, you're alert, you feel really good, shouldn't be an issue. And so I wouldn't overly concern about it, concern yourself with it. But if you want to kind of test, you can test out when you're drinking the coffee. From my experience, you actually get better benefits of doing caffeine after waiting roughly 90 to 120 minutes in the morning, right? So you don't actually want to drink caffeinated beverages unless you're doing like a like an early morning workout because then it can actually um, help improve your exercise performance. Outside of that, if you're just kind of going into your day, you want to wait 90 minutes to two hours after waking because that's when you get your natural, your highest rise of cortisol. And so if you bring in coffee or caffeine, then you're actually going to blunt that. You're not getting the same... You're not you're not actually getting an advantage, right? If you are, um, you know, increasing that even more, so you're going to get the advantage after about two hours in the morning. That's when you might see a little bit more of a slump or a drop in that cortisol, and that's when it can kind of elevate it up again. So, in general, you know, kind of summarize that. If you're feeling good, like when you take caffeine, it should be a performance enhancer. You should notice that you feel really good. You feel like you're able to concentrate better, focus better. If you're exercising, your, your exercise performance is better. Whatever you're doing, you should be able to perform better. If you notice within, let's say, a few hours of drinking the, the caffeine that um, you have more cravings, you're fatigued, you're tired, um, you feel irritable, you have uh, depression, sadness, you know, whatever it is, that's just not normal for the circumstances that you're in. That's a sign that you're not responding well to that coffee. It could be the coffee. It could be the caffeine, right? And your body's ability to metabolize that caffeine, or you may have a sensitivity to it. So that's when you'd want to experiment for sure, taking it out. Yeah. And coffee is one of those foods that's really important to buy organic. Mm -hmm. And there's lower acid coffees too. So um, something to consider in addition. I mean, I love my morning coffee. So I guess the best thing would be to have decaf when you wake up and then wait and have the caffeinated two hours later. Yeah. So, what I personally uh, like to do is I like to drink, usually I drink about three to four cups of herbal tea. So I get the warm beverage before I go to coffee. Cause yeah, I mean, coffee has, there's just a natural feel good. I mean, most people like mm -hmm. the smell, the taste of it. Um, and so before I do any sort of coffee, I drink usually about four cups of herbal tea. Um, so I'm getting the warm beverage and I'm also getting the benefits of those herbs without the caffeine going into my system. But yeah, you could do decaf as well, which is very low caffeine as well. So you don't get the, uh, so then you actually get better, again, better performance benefits. Um, and you, and most people notice that they sleep better at night when they, when they drink their coffee about two hours after waking. Okay, great. Um, well, I do my morning workout pretty early, so I'm going to stick mm -hmm. with the caffeine early, but um, great, great ideas for people. And everyone's different. We're all individual. That's why it's great to work with a coach because we can really tailor everything to you and your life and your circumstances. So again, encourage you to reach out to one of our health coaches. We've got three, including myself, and I'd love to help you. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you guys about Paleo Valley Bone Broth Protein Powder. Unlike most companies, which are actually creating their bone broth protein from the hides or the skin of the animal, which are unfortunately less nutrient dense, 
Paleo Valley actually uses the bones and they do a slow simmering process to extract as much of the key collagen protein as possible. Collagen protein is rich in some key amino acids, things like glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, which are needed for healthy skin, healthy joints, a healthy gut lining, healthy muscles, just a healthy body in general. Collagen helps to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. It also helps to reduce cellulite, and it's critical for anti-aging as it may regenerate bones and it helps build muscle and support heart health. So I'm a huge fan of using collagen or bone broth protein, but I want to make sure that mine is as pure as possible. And that's why I love Paleo Valley because they use 100% grass-fed beef bones from cows that are never fed GMO grains. And they even test for over 40 pesticides to ensure this is the purest bone broth protein on the market. It also has over three grams of glycine per serving, 15 grams of total collagen protein. Now that three gram dose of glycine is key because research has shown that that helps improve sleep by lowering body temperature and boosting serotonin levels. And serotonin is a key precursor to melatonin. That's the sleep hormone. And it does this without causing daytime drowsiness. So if you have your collagen protein during the day, you're not gonna get drowsy, but it will help you sleep better at night. So guys, check out paleovalley.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off to get your bone broth protein. You can also go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers to get the Paleo Valley bone broth protein or any of the great Paleo Valley products and use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off today. So speaking of sleep, let's talk more about that. Um, Let's see who this was Lisa on Instagram. And she would like to know what are the best herbs and supplements to improve sleep quality. And you know, I work with a lot of postmenopausal women, and this is probably the number one complaint is poor sleep, you know. So hormones can definitely play a role in that. But um, there's a lot of things we can do. And I really have to be on top of all of these things myself to make sure I have good sleep. And she asked about herbs and supplements, but I'd like to just talk for a minute about other things that can help with sleep, like making sure your room is dark, um, do, using the blue light blocking glasses two hours before you go to bed can be really helpful. Um, the temperature is important. So making sure your room's not too warm. I like to, I think the 68 degrees is a really great temperature for a lot of people. Um, and then the things you're exercising in the morning for some people can be better because if they're exercising too late, that can interfere with sleep. Regulating blood sugar. So if people have imbalances of blood sugar and it's kind of going up and down all day, that can really interfere with sleep because they can have a drop in the middle of the night, which is going to spike cortisol and wake them up. So something, you know, just the things we do during the day are really important for sleep and getting up in the morning, sunlight first thing when you wake up just to help to reset your circadian rhythm is really important and, you know, prioritizing sleep. So I have a lot of clients who really don't want to go to bed at night. They don't want the new day to start. So they stay up at night. They watch TV or some of my moms, you know, are busy trying to, once the kids are down, get all the laundry done and the dishes done. And so they sacrifice sleep. 
And I really encourage everyone, you've got to prioritize sleep. It's so critical for so many parts of our health, the brain health, blood sugar, so many different things. Um, So in performance, you know, so people that don't sleep, they have brain fog during the day. Um, It affects your neurotransmitters. There's so many things that are affected by poor sleep. So really want to encourage everybody to prioritize it. But Dr. Jaggers, why don't you talk about some of the herbs and supplements you recommend for sleep? Yeah, I'm glad that you went through the sleep hygiene because that's really the first place to start is, uh, you know, really good sleep hygiene practices. I find that most people are not doing the things that they need to do to set them up for good night's sleep. I mean, I can't tell you how many clients I've had in the past where I, I started asking them questions about that. And it turns out, they're falling asleep with the TV on or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's so critical that we have the, the right sleep hygiene. And then there are certain things that can really support us. You know, number one thing that I recommend off the bat is magnesium. And the reason why is that most people are just deficient in magnesium. And the more stress we're under, the more we're using up magnesium on a day-to-day basis and the less insulin sensitive. You know, we've been talking about that, that concept of insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity, So the less insulin sensitive you are, or the more insulin resistant your body is, the more magnesium you need because we need insulin sensitivity um, to bring insulin like a lock, opening a door, basically like a key opening a lock on a door to get magnesium into the cell. Most people don't realize that. They think insulin is really just about sugar, but also to get the actual benefits of magnesium, we need insulin. We need ourselves to be very sensitive to insulin. So- Getting magnesium is critical. And if you're not sleeping well, if you've got a racing mind, if you've got, if you're more prone to anxiety, um, to if you have like, for example, muscle twitches or muscle cramps, these are all warning signs that you may be magnesium deficient. We see it so commonly in our society. So I recommend a really good form of magnesium. There's a lot of good forms out there. Magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate are, are good forms. Magnesium malate is another good form. Um, you know, the form that I like the best for brain for sleep is magnesium L3 innate, which is actually the one that's most well studied for crossing over the blood brain barrier and having the most impact in your brain. Magnesium really helps calm the brain and improves our stress tolerance. So our ability to handle stress and stay in homeostasis, right? Stay in balance. And so it can be really, really helpful from that perspective. And if you're magnesium sufficient, that should really help calm your body and set your circadian rhythm to where you're naturally able to fall asleep as long as you're following all those sleep hygiene principles, particularly dimming lights in your house, you know, so you don't, your brain doesn't think it's in the middle of the day because you've got all these bright lights on when you're at night, right before you fall asleep, um, you know, you want kind of this gradual shifting down where the, the brain says, okay, it is nighttime. I'm not being exposed to these lights. I can produce melatonin. So if you set that up along with getting the right amount of magnesium, for a lot of people, that really works well. I'm also a fan of supplementing with melatonin. And I know there's a lot of controversy when it comes to supplementing with melatonin because there's a lot of people in the natural health world that have said, well, if you use melatonin because it's a hormone, if you supplement with it, your body's not going to produce as much. And therefore, you're going to become, in a sense, addicted to it. Okay, but my experience is that that's not true. My experience is that most people as they age are just not producing as much as they used to. 
And that actually supporting melatonin levels can improve deep sleep and REM sleep. And the research says that as well. Now, not everybody responds super well to melatonin. My body, I, I personally respond very well to it, but there are other people that don't respond well to it. In fact, there is a certain subset of the population. It's a, it's a small subset, but they oftentimes will have it, you know, basically taking a melatonin supplement will keep them up, right? It will actually agitate their system. So you kind of have to, it's an experimental thing. Um, and, you know, I recommend just kind of seeing what kind of habits that you're noticing that act and, and supplements and things like that actually do improve your sleep and you can track your sleep. I have an aura ring, for example, O U R A, um, where I'm actually able to look, I have an app on my phone, I'm able to look at my deep sleep and my REM sleep every night. But before I even got this, you know, I was just kind of cognizant of, oh, do I feel well rested this morning or not, you know, and what, what did I do the day before that could have potentially, um, you know, encouraged really good sleep or not. So those are good things to look at. And then from a herbal perspective, some people respond really great to herbs. Um, and you can experiment with those as well. Some of the really good ones are things like valerian root. A lot of these are, are what we call GABA agonists, meaning GABA is like the breaks in the brain. Glutamate is a neurotransmitter that is involved with um, cognitive acceleration, our ability to think sharply and quickly and react. And for a lot of people, they have a glutamate to GABA imbalance, and they actually need to support their GABA. We know, for example, progesterone, the hormone progesterone in, in females, very important for GABA production, right? It helps support GABA levels. And when women go through perimenopause and into menopause, Oftentimes their progesterone levels will, well, really all the time, their progesterone levels drop. Sometimes, well, I should say, here's where oftentimes comes in. So all <laughs> women's progesterone levels drop. Oftentimes they drop a lot further than estrogen and they create an imbalance there and that can affect GABA levels, which can affect sleep quality. So GABA supplementation itself, some people respond really well to just taking GABA Others respond really well with herbs like valerian root, which is a GABA agonist. So it helps support GABA activity in the brain. You have passion flower. That's another really good one. Chamomile, you know, who hasn't heard of chamomile tea, right? Mm -hmm. And some people love that chamomile tea. It tastes great. And you can also take it in, you know, herbal form, herbal tincture form, or in like a, a supplemental capsule form as well. Um, so those are some really good ones, you know, right off the bat. Reishi mushroom can also be really helpful. Um, you know, there's a number of them. Catnip can actually be yeah. another helpful one. Um, and ashwagandha is also very, very good for calming the brain. It tends to reduce um, catecholamines, different stress hormones that may be elevated, especially for somebody who has anxiety or for somebody that, you know, uh, was, was doing some late night work, for example. Um, you know, for a lot of people, even though this is not what we recommend, they have goals after 9 p.m. I always say you shouldn't have goals that you're trying to accomplish after 9 p.m. You should be reading lightly, maybe having light conversation with your spouse or partner or children, um, but no, you know, intense conversations and no, you know, serious goals that you're trying to accomplish because that's not going to allow you to produce the kind of hormones like melatonin that help you sleep well. You're instead going to be producing cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine. Um, that give you excitation, dopamine that give you excitation and not allow you to um, sleep effectively. So um, ashwagandha can help buffer that. So if you are doing something like that, taking some ashwagandha or taking some GABA or taking 
you know, some of these other herbs, valerian, passion flower, can help your body not produce as much of those excitatory neurotransmitters or metabolize and break those down uh, more effectively and get back in balance for good sleep. So those are all good things to do. Also, vitamin B6 can be very helpful as well. That has, vitamin B6 is, is key for the, uh, and magnesium are very key for converting glutamate into GABA, right? So we talked about magnesium before. If you're magnesium deficient and B6, you know, if you're B6 deficient, which are, those are very common deficiencies, then you're not gonna be able to convert that glutamate into GABA effectively. So you're gonna have that racing mind not be able to to put the brakes on it and fall asleep well. Right. So I know our time's up, but a final thought I'd like to leave people with is I do see anxiety being a huge cause of poor sleep. So things that can help reduce anxiety and stress management techniques are very helpful. And I have a lot of my clients do things like gratitude journaling before bed and Epsom salt bath just to relax and you get the magnesium from the Epsom salts prayer, of course. Um, and I love what you said about no goals after nine. I'm going to start using that because, you know, it, finding time to, that's what I do at night. I mean, I really, I prioritize sleep because I, I know how important it is, but I, I use that time later to just relax and have your know, mindless things. I, my daughter and I will watch a TV show or something like that, you know, something that doesn't stimulate the mind. Um, but definitely the relaxation techniques, walks in nature during the day, things like that to really help reduce stress because just like prioritizing sleep, stress management is also something that's so critical and our world is so stressed and it's something that I work with all of my clients on because everyone has stress. So that, that would be one last thing I wanted to leave people with, but I'm so glad we did this today. It was awesome. Absolutely. This has been great, guys. Ready to start out another new year. Really thankful that uh, you've listened this far into the podcast. And, uh, you know, our hope and prayer is that this really helps set you up for the best year yet. And if you need health coaching, if you're out there, you are struggling with your health, or you're somebody that just really wants to optimize your health in general, um, increase your energy, your mental clarity, hormone balance, lose weight, whatever it is that your goals are, reach out to Melissa. Um, you can email her at Melissa at drjockers.com. You can also find her information right on our website under the coaching tab. And uh, she'd be happy to work with you. And she works virtually. So you don't have to come see her. Um, saves you a lot of travel time, a lot of expense as far as that goes. And uh, you guys can work virtually together. So again, reach out to Melissa if you're looking for health coaching. And if you have other health questions that you think would make good content for uh, for these Q&As that we do every single month, you can email us at info at drjockers.com or you can uh, put up you know a post on our YouTube channel or um, Instagram, Facebook, wherever I'm at, Dr. David Jockers. And then we try to take those and put them into a master list and look for what's gonna be good to go through on these Q&As. So thanks so much for supporting us there. And we will see you guys in a future podcast. Everybody be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, 
then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.